Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Review RN. Today, I brought back Brittany Schultz, and we're going to talk all about peripheral vascular disease. So last week, if you listened, we talked about peripheral arterial disease, and today, Brittany's going to dive into peripheral vascular disease or venous disease. Um, So welcome, Brittany. Hi. Thanks again for having me today. Yeah, definitely. I'm so glad you're back with us. Um, We really enjoyed having you and um, the episode was really well received. So I think that let's start this episode out similar to last time and let's talk about, can you define venous disease for us? Yes. So venous disease, a lot of times you hear people talk about vein insufficiency or chronic venous disease are kind of synonymous terms. And when we look at this, uh, the definition is based on kind of what's going on in the veins that cause the problem. So the circulation, think about arteries taking away blood from the heart, veins returning the blood back to the heart. The venous system is comprised of a unique structure that have valves in them. So each vein has a valve about two 0.5 centimeters apart, and they help the blood get back to the heart. And venous disease is when there's damage to those valves in the vein or when there's been damage to the vessel wall that causes the vein to become incompetent. And when you mean incompetent, so when a vein doesn't work anymore, um, what exactly does that mean? So the vein size is either larger than normal, and we'll talk about the risk factors of like how this happens. So either a larger vein size, so the valve can't open and shut uh, properly, or just damage to the valve itself, which also inhibits the flow back to the heart. So when we think about something like this, we start to think, okay, um, is this life-threatening or does a patient have to seek immediate treatment like they might if they had critical limb ischemia or severe rest pain with peripheral arterial disease? And usually the answer is no. So while it's a disease that can cause a lot of changes to someone's quality of life, it's not something that's life-threatening. So when we think about our patients who have a lot of other comorbid conditions that are life-threatening, a lot of times they really ignore their legs and they kind of accept it as kind of how their legs look or how they feel and they don't even ask to do anything about them. So the prevalence of venous insufficiency is up to 50% of patients, but it's such a widespread and wide range of symptoms that a lot of patients don't ever do anything about it. And a lot of epidemiologists have studied different populations. So to say, is it more prevalent in one race over the other? There's not really been enough consistent data to to tell that, but we do know that it's really, really common. So that leads me into my next question, which is risk factors for PVD. Can you explain some of those? 
Yes. So think about people who have to stand on their legs all day long. So chronic vein insufficiency is most common in people who have an occupation where they have to sit or stand for prolonged periods of time, which causes a lot of blood flow in the lower extremities. So think about nurses or um, somebody who is like a, a restaurant worker or server or even secretaries that have to sit at their desk all day because what that promotes is high congestion or, or, or blood flow in the lower extremities that cause the veins hypertension. Okay. So normal blood flow in the veins is usually about five to 10 millimeters of mercury, which is a lot different than when you think about our blood pressure that's in an artery, 120 over 80 being normal. So the venous system is very low pressure, five to 10 millimeters of mercury over zero. And whenever you have to sit or stand for prolonged periods, you cause those veins to have high blood pressure, essentially, and their pressure can go up to 40 or 45. Uh, And with that, that's a risk factor in itself. Other risk factors include pregnancy. It's usually three or more pregnancies that puts you at risk for vein disease and family history. So if a first degree relative, mom, dad, your siblings or your children have vein insufficiency, you're more likely to inherit that. Obesity. So when we think about um, carrying more blood flow uh, because of high body mass, that's a risk factor because of that damage to the vessel walls, as well as an injury to the leg. So think about a blood clot could cause disruption of the the venous system because if anything is in a vein larger than the size of the vein or obstructing the flow, it puts pressure on the valves. Or like an ankle fracture or some kind of limb injury, limb surgery, so knee replacement, hip replacement. Those are all risk factors for the development of vein insufficiency. If a DVT is a risk factor for developing PVD, is PVD a risk factor for developing a DVT? No. So having vein insufficiency is not uh, something that puts you at risk for developing a blood clot. Uh, When we think about the way that a blood clot obstructs the flow of the vein, that's when it puts damage on the vessels. So it's it's not like a backwards uh, kind of like um, something you could insert or, or reverse, I should say. Having vein insufficiency, the valves and the vein size are larger, but that doesn't put you at a hypercoagulable state to develop a blood clot. Okay. Thank you. Um, moving on, can we? Can you talk a little bit more about signs and symptoms that present in patients who are developing or have developed peripheral vascular disease? Yeah. So I'm going to walk you through a basic patient that would probably walk into a clinic and tell me what's been going on with their legs. And then I'm going to tell you from a, a provider's standpoint, what I see on the legs. So somebody may tell me that they have been experiencing swelling in their legs that's worse at the end of the day. But after they sleep in their bed and when they wake up in the morning, it's better. But again, as that day progresses and they stand or sit on on their legs all day, um, they have swelling. They also can complain of heaviness in their legs. They might even say, you know, my legs just feel like I'm carrying around concrete. They're that heavy. They're tired. Uh, They can have skin discoloration. 
uh, itchiness, dryness of the skin and the legs, and even restlessness. Those are the biggest symptoms that people usually complain of. Uh, they also may have varicose veins that they either, one, don't like the appearance of, or two, they're painful. They'll say, hey, when I stand all day, these varicose veins, they, they throb, they get hot. Um, if I pull my pants up over the varicose vein, uh, it's tender. Some will say, hey, I can't even let my grandchild sit on my lap because the varicose veins are uncomfortable. Others might not have those big varicose veins. So varicose vein, I want you to think of those big, wormy veins that you can just track on a leg. And then you have small uh, abnormal veins, which are spider veins. In between, there's another vein called a reticular vein. So the, the actual technical term of a spider vein is a telangiectasia. So that's a very small, little tiny vein. Then we have reticular veins that are somewhere in between a, uh, the spider vein and a varicose vein. All of those are the result of that high pressure in the venous system. So the vein size, they become abnormal and the appearance becomes different on the limb. So that's usually what a patient would tell me that, that is bothersome to them. Those are the, the symptoms of vein insufficiency. The signs are the way we look at legs. Whenever I think about that, I think of, okay, that's where it's always that tricky part in nursing school to know, how do I know if a leg looks like it's a venous problem or an arterial problem? So we're going to work together to try to make sure that that's a little bit more clear for everybody. So this week we'll focus on more of the venous and then next week we'll tie together or contrast the two. But when you look at a leg that has vein insufficiency, you could see those spider veins or those, those big varicose veins. Oftentimes too, though, you are going to see swelling that is in the ankles or the mid-calf section, sometimes extends higher, but more so think below the knee often, okay? And then we also will notice a discoloration of the skin. This kind of, I always say, and I know this isn't the best technical term, but it's kind of like the vein or the, the leg looks speckled. So you see these little like spotty discolorations and it's kind of like a reddish or a brown. Um, and what that is, is it's the iron that's deposited from the blood cells on the tissue of the skin. So it kind of stains the skin like a tattoo. So you see this discoloration, which is called hemosiderin staining. So it's just the red blood cells that have stained the skin because of venous stasis. You also could see that the skin looks kind of uh, dry um, or just like it's, it's really under moisturized. Um, and also when you look at the skin, you can see that there's maybe not quite, um, patchy, but a line where you see this discoloration stop oftentimes mid calf, um, with venous disease, there's such a varying range of what do the legs look like. So somebody with like mild insufficiency might just have a little swelling, but somebody who's had vein insufficiency for a really long time or who has never done anything like which we'll talk about soon to try to help treat it might have really discolored legs with lots of spider veins or varicose veins 
One thing I think is worth mentioning, though, is that varicose veins, oftentimes people think of as, oh, you have really bad vein insufficiency if you have those. But really, these symptoms are all different for different reasons for patients. And there's not really like a chart that would say, well, if you have varicose veins, your vein insufficiency is worse than someone who has just a little bit of edema at the end of the day. Interesting. Thank you for that explanation. Let's move on to tests, diagnostic tests that diagnose venous insufficiency. So when somebody comes in or we suspect that they have vein insufficiency, we order something called a venous reflux study. So what this test is, is basically an ultrasound test where they also use blood pressure cuffs to look at the veins um, under ultrasound. It measures the size of the vein and how fast the blood moves through the vein. There's parameters that tell us what a competent vein uh, flow and size is, and then there's measurements that would indicate if the vein is incompetent. When we do the reflux test, we look at both the deep vein circulation and the superficial venous system. And when we, we observe that study, what we're looking at is how well does the blood flow move through the veins and are the vein sizes larger than what they should be? That's how we come to the diagnosis of vein insufficiency or venous disease. And as there's other modalities for, uh, so when we think about like the arterial system, we talked about a lot of different modalities that you can use, but the the venous reflux study is the gold standard, and there's not a lot of whole other ways you could do that. You could look um, on, on if you're ruling out like a DVT and you just do a basic ultrasound test of a lower extremity, you would have a very minimal look that the veins are incompetent, but it's not as specific for looking for vein insufficiency. So that's the, the way that we diagnose it is through a venous reflux study. And after a patient receives a diagnosis of peripheral vascular disease, what treatments or medications are there to help the patient? So venous insufficiency is um, something that there's not a lot of options for treatment. So we start with either conservative measures first, and then if they fail conservative therapy, that's when we talk about performing something called a vein ablation. So Conservative measures include compression stockings. So we want to get the patient in some sort of support hose that help to put pressure on the veins in a way and help the blood get back to the heart. So these are usually knee-high or thigh-high compression. In general, we want thigh-high compression because the veins don't stop at the knees. So you need to go to mid-thigh where those superficial veins stop to help support the blood flow. Now, I'm going to tell you that most patients do not at all like compression. There are a handful that tell me, hey, Brittany, I love wearing my compression. I wear them every time I exercise or some do tolerate them if they're working in an, in an air-conditioned environment and they don't have back problems that inhibit them from putting them on or arthritis in their hands, but they're tight, okay, because they have to have a higher pressure than what's going on in the venous system. And when we talk about these uh, veins that have a high pressure above what their normal is, you have to do 20 to 30 millimeters of mercury at 
standard, some patients even 30 to 40 millimeters of mercury. So as nurses, we have worn the compression we buy at the scrub store, and that's about 8 to 12 millimeters of mercury. So consider that those you usually have to sit at the edge of your bed and sweat a little bit when you put them on. Well, these can be a little bit tighter. So that's the downfall of compression. They do work well, uh, but again, they, the ease of use is not the best. Other things that we do to treat vein insufficiency are we tell patients, elevate your legs at rest because that helps to decrease the pressure of the venous system and, and makes it easier for the blood to get back uh, to the heart. Patients don't need to lay on a bed like in a reverse Trendelenburg position for this. We tell them, you know, use your ottoman, elevate your legs in your lazy boy, whatever you can do, but that just helps to promote the blood flow back to the heart. Another big conservative measure is exercise. Being active doesn't reverse vein insufficiency, but it does promote a healthy body weight. We know that the more pressure you put on the venous system, the worse the insufficiency can become. So we do tell patients that. So to recap, the three are compression, elevation, and exercise. If a patient fails conservative measures or they say, hey, I did notice that these compression really help my leg heaviness, the swellings down, my legs aren't restless like they were at night. I really want to pursue something that's permanent. Then that's when we talk about a, a vein ablation. So it's an outpatient procedure done by a specialist. There's lots of different doctors that can specialize in this. My interventional cardiologist is certified to do these procedures. So that's who does them with me or not with me. He's the one who does it. Um, but there's also vascular doctors who do it. And even doctors in other specialties obtain their, obtain their certificate or whatever kind of training they need for it. So it's an outpatient procedure. Patients walk in on their own legs and they walk out on their own legs. It's not done under general anesthesia. It basically is an ultrasound guided procedure where the provider goes into the vein uh, with a catheter and advances that up to the extent of the top of the vein and then ablates the vein with this catheter. So the tip of the catheter gets really hot and that closes off blood flow in the vein system. We're talking about the superficial veins, not the deep veins. Those are imperative for circulation. So superficial vein is closed off or ablated and then the blood flow, the body knows, hey, I can't get back up through these superficial veins anymore, and it's rerouted to the deep vein system for return of circulation. There's minimal downtime with that procedure. Patients walk out on their own legs. They have to wear compression for about a week, but most of them return to their normal activity the next day. So one last question. Let's talk about lifestyle modifications that can be made by either patients who have been diagnosed with peripheral vascular disease or individuals who just like us, that want to prevent peripheral vascular disease? So one big thing, and it's easy for us to say and so hard for patients to do, but to stay active, to really try to achieve a normal body mass index because we know that once we start thinking about our jobs or our, our genes that we inherit, sometimes we don't have great control about what those environments look like or what genetic composition we have. So being active, staying staying in exercise regimen that promotes you to burn calories and really to keep that body mass index within the normal range. And also wearing compressions as a preventative measure. So nurses who wear compression during their long shifts, that, that does help. 
Um, it's hard with vein insufficiency because with other types of diseases, there's a lot of things sometimes we can say as preventative measures. And so for vein disease, it's more of a simple uh, set, but really being active, wearing compression, the whole, you know, elevating your legs at rest or doing that. Yeah. Take a load off, kick your feet up, but it doesn't necessarily keep you from developing vein insufficiency. Well, this has been great. I'm so glad you came back to talk about PVD and I can't wait for next week when we kind of dive into let's, you know, head to head PVD versus PAD, but um, it's always a joy to have you and we can't wait for next week. Awesome. Thanks. You guys have a great week. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.